actually in First Thessalonians. Uh, just to study for a moment, or maybe two moments, about what Paul, what Paul does with people to help them grow in faith. And so, first Thess, they had gotten the faith. Second Thess, they had, their faith was greatly enlarged. And so, that, that premise, that faith is a dynamic that God is out, and so, to make you strong, to know more about Him, so that your trust would be strong in Him, that your hope would be clearer in Him, and that your love would be alive and vital because of Him. And yet, as we go into this session, it's so easy just to take things for granted because you've made a decision for Christ 20-some years ago at Camp Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you accepted Christ in, and, and all of a sudden you know you're a Christian, so now you've got your ticket to heaven and you're going in. But it's so easy just to uh, assume that everything is okay and you go along until, wham, something happens and it challenges what you really believe about God. We've been talking about these themes, and so I want to remind you that what Jesus is after is your faith. When he comes, he's going to look at and respond to the level of your faith in him and to help you increase your faith. And so God wants you to be strong in faith. We know that his is the business of writing because he's the author and the perfecter of faith. So he doesn't start something, just leave it on its own. There's a dynamic movement that he's introducing things to you in your life, through your circumstances, and in your relationships where you really are being drawn to think about the world you live in from his perspective. Faith, as I said last week, is not just a, a rational thing, it's not an intellectual thing, it's not a scientific thing where you are getting people from the world influencing the way you think and believe, is you need evidence, you need proof. And so that scientific way of knowing isn't the way that the Hebrew Hebrews would understand because the Hebrews would say <clears throat> it's about seeing and experiencing experiencing God and therefore it's not just a rational way though that's part of it there are prepositions and principles and truths that are there but primarily faith is a relational word and to misunderstand or have two frameworks combined say well I don't see it I don't you got to prove it is to misunderstand the heart of what the Bible is saying. You are called to trust in the one who's called you. And though you don't see him, you have lots of evidence given through the Holy Spirit's work in the church, through the scriptures, through your own personal testimony, through nature, through prayer, through lots of things that you can get to know him. But he is at work... Uh, developing your convictions. And the convictions aren't just uh, you using God to get what you want. It's not a Santa Claus up there on the throne. It's, uh, but he's, he's interested in what he desires for you to enjoy. So he's guiding you. And yet to understand, all of that means is that you have to move to follow Christ. He's, if he's walking down the street and you're back here, you're not going to experience what he's got for you over there. You have to move and mature as you experience and get out of your comfort zones to let him stretch you to say, okay, Lord, I'm with you. 
But you come to this point, and I don't know if you've ever been here. Have you ever come to the point where you, you would sing that song, It is not well with my soul. It is not well. I don't have that peace that passes understanding. And Whatever you're talking about, I don't have it. And so when you get into the scriptures, if you recognize that the psalms that we sing, do you re- realize that 70% of the psalms are song, songs of complaint? God, where are you? Where are you? You have sold my soul down the river, and you didn't even get any, anything for it. It's like you've, you've abandoned us. Why are you disturbed Oh my soul. 70% of the Psalms are, are David and others complaining, God, where are you? I want to wait on you, sure, but you're not showing up. And there's a lot of things about this faith that you think about uh, when faith, we sing, you know, just for that day when faith shall be sight, I will see Christ. But now I don't see Christ. And so some people are really struggling trying to have faith as they walk in darkness. There are people, there are people whose love has grown cold because their faith is frozen. And when you begin to think about these relationships, when, when uh, the shadows of doubt come in and the double-mindedness and you begin to question, is it really worth it? I mean, it just seems like everybody else seems to be doing okay and and why am I a Christian even? So you'll find that in this Psalm 73 where Asaph, the choir director, really was trying to pretend to be godly, but he internally was just shaken. He said, I was like a beast. If you haven't read that passage, go back and read it. Because it says, I, I really became senseless. And he's in the position of worship. And he says, if I, if I give up, everybody's going to follow me. And they're all going to give up. And But he says, whom do I have in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing else on earth. He came to that point. But there are a lot of people who say, I don't want what God has to offer. I want what I want. And I want what I want right now. And therefore there is no faith in that. I'm going to take over because God doesn't seem to come through for me. And I want to trust him and he doesn't answer. I want to trust my family. They don't respond. I want to trust my husband. He's no good. And I want to trust my kids and they fail me. So everybody's disappointing me. And so I just live in a world with, if you want anything done, you've got to do it yourself. And when you fail to do what you want to do, what happens? You lose faith in yourself. And here comes the judgment. I'm telling you, when faith fades, it is no small deal, and yet it is going on around us constantly. When you think that there's not a peace that endureth, there is a pain that endureth. It's like, how long, O Lord, will I have to go through this? Well, I just wanted to bring this in because this is something that we assume that everybody's okay. And if you're in this pew right now, you are in great danger because you have fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul would say, and you continue to fall short. Every day, you don't have the full, perfect heart that you have. Therefore, there is something in you that's missing, something in you that's yet not put together, and the author of faith wants to really use these things to draw you back into this relationship 
But in the meantime, I have this category called fading faith. And fading faith, there are some things seriously that we want you to understand in this, that with fading faith, uh, there are some factors involved that you may not be aware of. I want to help, help you think about those things. In order, so you, in order for you to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, help me, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Grow me up so I get out of this, so I can trust you in the middle of this. What are you doing? But these factors uh, to help us grow into an obedient faith where we don't let the factors or the circumstances determine our faith, but we let our faith help us in our circumstances. So we want to focus, one, on understanding what faith is in order to uh, apply that gospel message, that truth, that is not just you get to go to heaven, but we pray the Lord's Prayer that heaven would break into our reality. Thy kingdom come right now in my heart so that I have that taste of heaven in the pit of hell. And therefore I can say yes to heaven and I can say hell no to the things that are tempting me because the Spirit of God has made me alive in Christ. It's not about me, it's about in Christ. So it's got to be Christ-centered. And so with that, I just wanted to share briefly, we'll touch on lots of things, and I want you to note them because where many Christians start in their faith is they start with that BBS syndrome. Now you guys know what that is. For those of you who don't know, it's the belly button syndrome where you look at your own belly button, you say, oh, there's a couple ounces of lint in there and i got to pull this out. But this self-centered, this man-centered, you start with the self and you look at yourself as a Christian. Christian, how are you doing? When you start with your condition, are you faithful to go to church? Have you been reading the Bible? Have you been praying? Do you give? Do you witness? Did you pass over an opportunity to serve when you should have, but you didn't because you realized you had other things preoccupying you, you just kind of passed on? When you realize that your Christian performance is the measure of your faith, you're lost already. When you start with yourself, you will end up judging yourself, beating yourself, condemning yourself, comparing yourself, trying to improve yourself, and all of that is not the gospel. And if you are on a performance track that you've got to do this more, you've got to do that more, you've got to have more faith, you've got to do this, you've got to believe that, and you think, wow, if you focus on your condition, you have small or fading faith. Because once you start with yourself, you try the self-improvement thing, and you don't need Christ. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the promises of God because it's all about you improving yourself. And so I'm suggesting that you start with the position, not your condition, your position, what Christ says about you before you even move into your condition. You are mine. This one is my beloved. He, he was born in Zion. God knows you and says things about his family, and that's what we stay with. It is finished, is his word. We sing that song, don't we? Blessed assurance. 
Jesus is mine. We should change that. Blessed assurance. Jesus would say, you are mine. But that blessed assurance is about me starting with me. I, I own Jesus. I got it. No, no. Jesus has me. And that idea that you start with him, he adopted you, he redeemed you, he reconciled you, he forgave you. He, he does all these things to bless you, to bring you back in, to get your focus off of you. And therefore, this idea that we focus on the person and the work of Christ. And these are just by way of reminders. But last week I've mentioned that there's a process, and this is not a linear thing. This is more of a, a kind of a Mobius strip where you kind of go back and forth in a dynamic. But for the sake of explanation, you'll see these four stages I've got here. There are people who don't have faith at all. Uh, from those who have no faith, dead faith, vain faith, void faith. There are people who don't give a rip about anything that's religious or spiritual. They just are secular, dead in the flesh. The second category we talked about last week is that there is a saving faith, and a saving faith that's not based on what you believe or what you do. It's based on what he believes and what he did. It's based on Christ-centered, uh, the cross, the resurrection, the death, the resurrection, the promise. Uh, it's salvific. It means it doesn't start with our efforts. It starts with him to be effective in salvation. Now, we introduced this last week with the BBB. Now, this is the test. Remember the test? Now, this is not an ABCD test. But what does BBB mean? One. What? Built. You were built for a relationship. You were built to be a man, a woman who trusts easily. When God said to Adam, Adam, I've got this wonderful garden for you. Uh-huh, okay, okay. And I want you to be part of this and take care of it like I take care of the universe. Okay, okay, okay. I want you to reflect my image and how I care for the, the earth and the animals is what I want you to do as I care for you. Uh, oh, I'm with you, I'm with you. And so what Adam was built for was to have a purpose in life that would reflect God's care over creation. And then he says, I'm going to give you a woman. Whoa, this is great. I love it. So he says, yes, I'm, I'm all for that. So when you get into the things that God wants you to enjoy, your relationship, when Adam and Eve came together, what, were the first, what was the first word out of his mouth? Men? Yee-haw! Something like that. Well, maybe in Hebrew. I don't know what that is. But the idea that you were built for love, you were built for significance, you were built to enjoy Christ and love him in such a way that that reflection this way would be the same way you would have mercy and grace and patience and, and understanding and celebrate and delight in everybody around you. You were built for a relationship. Everybody was. But you were broken in your relationship. And that means you don't forgive well. You don't receive grace well. You don't understand how to handle conflict well because something's inside of you where your trust instead of being 100% may be a percentage low or something or your faith your love something's missing something's wrong something's broken and that brokenness is called sin where there's a state of separation that knowing what is right I still choose to do what is wrong can you explain that knowing what is wrong I don't tend to do 
the opposite. I don't do what I should do and I do what I shouldn't do is the conflict that Paul would say. But you're broken in relationship and you need somebody to come into your world to understand you're kind of messed up. <laughs> uh, you make mistakes. You're not put together. You don't love well. You don't believe well. And there's something about us that's lacking. And so Paul would say to the Thessalonians, I'm sending Timothy to help you Build in, fill in what is lacking in your faith. But until somebody does that, we have holes in our theology. We have gaps in our understanding, and we are more governed by things that are working against us. Built, broken, and there's a bridge. And that bridge means that the Holy Spirit, through Christ's work on the cross, was raising you from the dead, taking you out of the kingdom of darkness, putting you in him in the kingdom of light, and now you are his. I am my beloved, and his banner over me is love. The fact that you are delighted in by the God that created you, redeemed you, and you may not even know it means that you have a fading faith that you can't see God because you're still focused on your belly button. But that bridge means that bridge took place 2,000 years ago, and that reality of heaven is a reality available to everyone who wants to grow in faith. And that's where we come into this third stage where we have this infantile faith, where it's baby faith, that it doesn't have a lot of maturity, doesn't have a lot of depth. And so with baby faith, with babies, they can't even walk because they don't know how to hold their body up. And so they're weak until they get strong. In weak faith, as, as Jesus would say often to, to people who have weakened faith, with, with Romans 4, Abraham says, without becoming weak in faith, which means faith is not always strong, folks that there are factors that make it strong. But without becoming weak in faith, Abraham considered the promises of God. Now, what does that weak faith mean? Weak faith looks at the conditions that Abraham had to deal with. He was 99, 100 years old, and his wife wasn't much more of a spring chicken. And so when he looked at the evidence of the conditions and you stay looking at the circumstances, you won't see the God that exists above the circumstances. Weakness will have arguments and excuses and will say this question. Well, what if? What if he doesn't? And therefore, this idea of having weak faith won't hear the promises of God. Wandering faith, Timothy talks about those who forget God because they want money. And because of the love of money... And, the, and the, the accumulation of things. Get these six storehouses. And Jesus says, this man was not rich in faith. He was poor in faith. But because of that love of money, some have wandered away and gone after some security, some financial security. So when you have a Katrina or a hurricane, or but you're trusting in what you can control. That's, not, that's weak faith. Withering faith you get into real persecution. Things get tough. Things get hard. People don't like you. People hurt you and injure you, say things about you. And therefore, if you get persecuted for being a Christian or made fun of, 
Some people just can't, I don't like that, so I'm going to just kind of not say much. And, and so people's faith, like that seed on the soil, that when the sun came out, there were not much roots, and it withered up. But the last one is, is that there's a worldly faith, that there's too much of the world in what you think you believe. And therefore, this infantile faith is stuck. It's stuck and won't grow because it's stuck in an infantile state. Now, add to that some adjectives that Jesus would say in the Scriptures. If Jesus were to meet us, he would address us on the level of our faith. And so he would say to his disciples, you of little faith, I just performed a miracle and you didn't see it. The storm was calm, the sea went cool, and and you were still anxious and wavering, and, and he gets out of the boat, and they couldn't see that Jesus was Lord over all. And he said to them, you of little faith. How often God shows up, does something for us, and we don't recognize that. Little faith. But to move little faith into naive Naive faith. Naive faith is this presumptuous thing that you thought God was going to do this, but he didn't do this, but you have a demanding spirit that, God, I want you to do this, and if you don't do this, if you don't take care of this divorce, if you don't take care of my promiscuous child, I'm not going to... And so there's a demand that you think God is here to serve you on your terms. And so that naive faith says, well, God... I tried God, he didn't work. I wanted him to get me off of drugs, and I tried that, and he didn't work. You ever hear that? So there's a sense about that faith. It's, it's not really developed, but it can be developed. But remember when Jesus was at the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus said, you are the Son of the living God, and, and Jesus said, heaven has revealed this to you, Peter, that this isn't... The Spirit of God has opened your eyes, Peter. And upon your confession, I'm going to build my church. Immediately after that, remember what happens? Jesus says, okay, now you're ready for this? I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man must be crucified, beaten, crucified. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. When has your faith failed? Has your faith ever failed, faded, where you've been demanding and God didn't come through? That you're complaining like the psalmist? Oh, listen. My faith sometimes has failed a whole lot. I'll tell you the first time my faith failed, and it was it was a, a, something that wasn't designed by God, but God used this because it destroyed my faith. And I'll tell you that story because what I want you to hear is behind the failure, there is one who wants me to fail. And to understand the cosmology of this world, that there is a spiritual warfare and there are, there are things that are moving that will destroy your faith. And I can think a number of times, I think, God, I didn't make it. 
I didn't make it. I was lacking because I was ungrounded in my faith. I didn't have what it took to deal with the temptation or to deal with the the tension and the trauma that was there. I didn't have what I needed to have. Have you ever been there? Sure. Well, here's what I want to share with you. There are some significant factors involved. I want you to be aware of this. One, you have an enemy. And your enemy is envious and wants to destroy the fact that you can reflect glory and grace when he cannot reflect glory or grace. He will will bring about gore and grief. You have an enemy. It's Satan himself. And therefore, you understand that the enemy of faith, Satan does not want you to believe God. Neither does your world, neither does your flesh. And therefore, there are so many substitutes out there. Let me just share this one. That you have a roaring lion seeking to devour whatever crumbs of belief you've got. Even if it's little faith, he'll destroy it. You see, in Genesis 2, he has two goals. One is to have you question. And fundamentally, Christian, you have to come to the point of answering this question at the core of your heart. Because here's where Satan is going to really take a spear and go right in. And the question is, did God really say that? And Satan will make you question, cynically being skeptical of one thing. And that one thing is this. Is your God good? Your answer will lead you to trust or to distrust. Did God really say that, Adam? Did God really say that, Eve? He's holding back from you. you he wants you to be dependent upon him, but you're, you've got the right. Did he really say that? Is he really good? When you're in that car wreck, and now you're in the hospital, can you say, God is good? Satan would say, no, you don't want to say that. Not only has he questioned this God is good, the deeper question is this. Is he good enough? Because you'll answer that question And your lack of faith and your wrong answer will lead you down this road that that the enemy wants you to start. Yeah, he's not good. He did that with Jesus. Remember in Matthew 4 when Jesus was taken to the temple? And what was the question that Satan asked Jesus? If you are the Son of God, if you don't really think you are, If you are, then this arrangement you've got with your father, he'll take and he'll protect you. Just go. If you prove it. And Satan would love to put you in that tension where you have to prove instead of trust. And what was his answer? It is written. Drove Satan nuts. And therefore, the idea that Satan is out to destroy you, to doubt the goodness of God, 
to create fear and then to conquer you so that you never have faith in Christ. That is happening in our world today. Can you imagine having a snake playing with an infantile faith? What does he like to do? Yeah, squeeze that faith out of him. And therefore, you've got an enemy. You've got to be aware of the fact that if you don't have this grounding, you're going to have your faith tested and it will fail. The failing part for me was when you come to trauma or an injury. When I was uh, 10 years old, there was a church in back of my house. Didn't really pay much attention to it, but at 10 years old, my dad committed suicide. A soldier from the Korean War, they didn't know what PTSD was back then. But he came home and got a job in the factory, Chrysler factory, and did what most GIs do. Started a family in a small house and worked and worked and worked and worked, but I never saw my dad. He worked second shift. And so I didn't know my father very, very well at all. My other brothers did. But that night, even as an unbeliever, when my dad took the shotgun and he killed himself, I was upstairs. My brother said, go up, go up, go up. They pushed me away so I never saw anything except what I saw. And I went to bed that night, weeping, crying, hysterical, thinking, God, I don't understand what's going on, but save my dad. And guess what happened? He didn't. He didn't. Now, for a 10-year-old boy who didn't go to church, what would you think about God at this point? And so from that point on, that was the last time I prayed until nine years later at Ball State University when somebody told me about Jesus. I never prayed to God, never thought about God. Satan destroyed my faith through the suicide of my father. The Holy Spirit gave me faith through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But for nine years, let me tell you, I wandered around the world thinking, it's up to me. It's up to me. My brothers were gone. My dad was gone. Nobody was in my world. And I thought, God wasn't in my world. So who do I have to trust? And that's what I did. And what does the Bible say? Trust in yourself with all your heart and do not really lean on God's understanding? No, just the opposite. But I couldn't trust God. I really couldn't trust God. And I want you to hear that because there are a lot of people that you know who can't trust God because they're dead and don't have any sense of his goodness because of the trauma that they went through. God can heal that trauma, has healed the trauma. But there's so many more things that you go through because God is out to develop your faith. If you are like some Christians in some denominations, it's about performance. This happens to be a picture from St. John Climacus, a Greek Orthodox church, who wrote this book for kids, and it's called St. John of the Ladder because you see that ladder there going up to heaven. These are the spiritual disciplines that you're supposed to do in the Christian life, in their thinking, in order to get rid of vices, get rid of sins, and then to, get, and to acquire these virtues. But there are 31 steps that you have to work 
to get that faith. And then if you do these things, then God will be pleased and you'll get into heaven. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's a salvation by works. It's spirituality by your effort. And yet there's a lot of denominations that have this works develop your work hard to develop your spirituality, but that's not what we believe the scriptures teach. On the other hand, you can fall off on this side and not have have faith that's not existent through some trauma or injury or doubt or whatever. But you can't build your faith by your human effort. Faith is an outward response to Christ's invitation to follow me. And yet if you try to have this technique a formula approach to Christianity, your faith will be stuck in performance. The opposite of this is the danger that you and I have grown up with. It's a, instead of having a difficult faith, we have the sinner's prayer. This is easy believism. This is magic. I say the magic words, Jesus, would you be my Savior? I will make you Lord and King, my King. And you say this magic word like a chant, like a shaman would say over, and this idea of you say, I, I, I just confess my sins, I ask Jesus in, and then all of a sudden, I'm born again. If you say the magic technique words, there are a lot of people who have said these phrases and gone on to live a life in the flesh. There's no fruit whatsoever, but they're called Christians, but there's no evidence at all of any development of life except the traditions that they've grown up with. And therefore, there's almost a deadness, a flatness, but people have been duped by saying, just say the magic words, I believe. I believe in a higher power. I just This is not the gospel. Jesus didn't go to Nicodemus and say, Nicodemus say, well, what should I do, Jesus, to be born again? Jesus says, well, just confess that I am your Savior, and you confess your He says, no, no, no. Jesus didn't use the four spiritual laws. He says, Nicodemus, know this, that when the wind blows, and the Spirit is like that wind, you don't know where it's going. You don't know how God's going to do it, Nicodemus. Oh, you wouldn't say that. What do, you, what do you do to become a Christian? You don't. The Spirit of God calls you. It's the Spirit of God's blowing. It's the Spirit of God's work. It's the Spirit of God opening your eyes. It's the Spirit of God showing you Christ. It's the Spirit of God doing what He does, not you saying, Jesus, I'm going to make you my Lord. You don't make the Lord the Lord. Because you say he's the Lord, doesn't you are the Lord telling the Lord that he's the Lord. And you stay, you stay in control. we we got lots of funny things going on. But the idea is that simple faith, when we come into our culture, uh, the thing about faith and spirituality is we, we are messed up. We need somebody to help us grow. And therefore, when your faith gets tested, challenged, and taught, how do you respond to somebody asking questions about what you believe? Well, this if you're going to grow from an infantile faith, you will be tested. You will be taught. You will be uh, in positions of trauma where God will say, do you really believe I'm good? 
I'm asking you to follow me. Well, I don't know. And that's, that's the movement of trust. You've got to come to that point of saying, Jesus, I trust you, but I don't know you. If I'm ignorant of Scripture, I can't have faith. If I don't know God's character, his person, what he wants from me, I won't have growth. I've got wrong priorities. I've got wrong relationships. I've got undealt with uh, resolved issues. And I get distracted, and I can't forgive. There's all kinds of things that will make your faith fade away. But here's the good thing. When you have infantile faith, and for those of you who are mothers who know this, what do you do with your child when you're feeding, when you're breastfeeding a child? You look. You gaze. And only in that short distance, the baby is looking up at you. And the nourishment that comes from that gaze of grace and that goodness, that smile, there's something that's nourishing in the spirit as well. There's something that's connecting from baby to mother in that short little facial encounter. And so when a baby is looking to Christ, as a baby Christian likewise looking to Christ, seeing the smile of Christ, seeing the delight of Christ, and like, like Peter would say, like newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you can grow in respect to salvation. How does a baby drink milk? I'm hungry. And so they go after it. Likewise, for baby Christians, the hunger for the word will help you grow in respect to salvation. But your eyes have got to be fixed on Christ. How do you help somebody who's fate with fading faith? You get their focus off their belly button. You introduce Christ, the person, the desire for that person to know Christ, invite them into that relationship where they're invited to trust and obey. And when you have obedient faith, then you move out of this infantile faith into a maturity that we'll look at next week. But for right now... We're going to look at mature faith and what does a mature believer look like? What does a a strong faith look like? And so we'll do that next week and we'll then we'll finish this and then we'll go back into Thessalonians because there are two issues that they need faith that's going to be addressed in Thessalonians. The same issues that you and I have, but that's coming up in two weeks. For now, let me close and let's move into our song in a minute. Let me pray. Father, take these words. Help our unbelief. Help us as a high priest that you are to sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Help us to punch Satan in the nose and to say, get out of here. And have us that faith that's really going to define us as mature Christians. Lord, if this is the way that you guide us, counsel us with that desire that you are all that we have and we love you for that so father take these things and bless it in jesus name amen amen okay let's sing just a couple of these uh verses and we'll call it quits trust and obey hymn 571 please stand <laughs> 